Greetings, rare ones, and welcome to the Rebirds Emerging Market Podcast. I'm your host, Joanne. I started Rebirds a few years ago because I wanted to learn the stories behind startups in emerging markets. This has since evolved into a multimedia brand with content covering the intersections of early stage entrepreneurship, emerging markets, and blockchain technology. The Rebirds Emerging Market Podcast is where I have conversations with startup founders, ecosystem builders, and investors from across emerging markets. We are now on season eight, exploring the Puerto Rico startup ecosystem. We are back and this is episode 173 as we continue to explore the Puerto Rico startup ecosystem. So today's guest is Alan Tavares Sepuverta and we are going to discuss how he and his brother are building the largest catalog of online products to serve the 60 million Latin American diaspora located in the United States. So Alan and his brother both founded the company Brands Of when they were both studying abroad, when they experienced the nostalgia that many do when they're away from home. So Alan and I discussed a few things about the company. You'll get to know a bit about him and his background. You'll learn the story. We uh, covered a little bit about expanding into other markets, which they have successfully done thus far. We defined the $60 million Latin American diaspora in the United States. We also talked about the diaspora community, which is something uh, that we've gone over quite a bit in this um, podcast. We talked about moving beyond remittances to support countries back home, as well as seeing diaspora investment as a social contract. We covered quite a bit in this short conversation and I really enjoyed listening in and learning from Alan about the company and I hope you do as well. So now's the time to grab a cuppa and I'll see you at the end. Bye for now. and welcome to the Rare Birds podcast. Thank you, Joanne, for inviting me and from making me a rare bird. <laughs> Indeed <laughs> you are. You got it. Well, actually, you are a rare one. We call our, our, our people are called rare ones. Our members are rare ones in the Rare Birds community. Nice. But you can be a rare bird. That's okay, too. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, thank you so much. I'm really, really honored to have you on because I have been stalking you. <laughs> online and i'm really happy to have you on the podcast so again welcome so before we kick off the conversation please introduce yourself to our audience tell everybody who you are yeah i am alan taveras i am uh, puerto rican born but uh half of my blood is dominican my dad is dominican and my mom is puerto rican I uh, was born and raised here in San Juan, went down to Argentina to study and there fell in love with the, with the tech ecosystems and with building startups and scaling companies. So I came back to Puerto Rico and after a couple of failed uh, projects, uh, my brother and I founded uh, Brands of Puerto Rico. It's basically a marketplace for Puerto Rican entrepreneurs to export their products to the Puerto Rican community in the States, but that concept took a lot of traction and grew. And now we're doing the same in Mexico, Guatemala, and Dominican Republic. And we basically are building the biggest uh, catalog of online uh, 
of products online from Latin America to cater the U.S. Hispanic community. So that's that's me, and that's what I do. I'm the chief marketing officer there. Okay, fascinating. So it's you and your brother. You so you 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 founded it together, yeah? Yeah, it's a it's a family company. It's a family company. So you you said you went to Argentina, you came back. What is the actual story behind Brands of? What actually sparked the idea? Yeah, uh, this this is not something typical of my family. This is something all Puerto Rican moms do. And uh, I don't know if you're, if you know, but okay. uh, for, for all of your, of your audience, yeah. uh, Puerto Rico is a country where you have more people living outside than inside. There's 6 million Puerto Ricans in the States while we have 3 million in the island. Mm. So it's a, it's a basic custom for moms or family to send little care packages to their family in the States because you can find excellent coffee, adobo, sazon, and everything we need uh, to, to feel like uh, we're at home. So basically, my mom used to do that with my brother and I. My brother went to Boston for, 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 his, mass, for his bachelor's. Okay. Uh, so we came back and we said, we have a lot of people outside. Uh, we, they have purchasing power. They feel nostalgia. So why don't we replicate what mom used to do? But let's do it uh, in a better way and, and try to scale and automize uh, that experience of sending a care package. So, so that grew. It was because we felt the pain. We were living outside uh, with cold, uh, without the cookies, without the coffee, <laughs> and mom used to cure us. So yeah. we, we took that experience and built a company on top of it. Yeah, actually, that's a brilliant story. And I think that's something I can relate to that. And so many of us can, because, you know, this is an emerging market community. So many of us are living outside of our homes, as we do in developing countries, we move around, or many of us are from diaspora communities. So that's actually yes. some, something very much uh, familiar to, to our audience. Definitely. So this yeah. uh your company started in puerto rico right but i know you mentioned yeah. now that you're in dominican republic you said mexico and i think guatemala how did that happen yeah. how did that happen it was funny yeah it was funny because it, it, it wasn't an idea of ours uh we went through a, a local accelerator it's called parallel 18 so yes, basically is a government funded accelerator and it copied the model from Startup Chile. And a lot of countries in Latin America and all, all, all over the world are doing the, the Startup Chile model. Right. So, we went, so we went there and uh, we had the, the luck and the honor to have a mentor. Uh, he's an ex-Silicon Valley, multiple exits under his belt. And he told us uh, a company that caters 6 million people is not fun. So think something else. Think <laughs> so big. He, he, yeah, he, he was a shocker. And he said, you have 60 millions of Hispanics in the US and it's the biggest minority. And, and for everyone says in 2025, it's going to be the, the majority. So focus on that. And since I went to school in Argentina and mm. the school I, I went was full of uh, people from other countries uh, in my class, we were like a hundred and only three were Argentine. Mm. So it, it, it was people from Venezuela, Colombia, Mexico, all over the place. Mm. So I get to know a lot about their culture and have great context throughout all LATAM. 
So, ba mm. so basically, that started uh, a lot of conversations, a lot of calls. We are half Dominican, so it was just hop on a plane, 30 minutes, we're in Dominican Republic and start gathering brands. And suddenly uh, it grew, uh, and that's the way we, we were able to attract capital and, and grow our organization. But it's, it's important to say it was thanks to that accelerator and that mentor. His name is Ken K. If mm. Ken is listening here, thank yeah. you, Ken. Listen, Ken. <laughs> thank you, Ken. <laughs> yeah, and, and and it's funny because a lot of uh, I hear a lot of podcasts and I hear a lot of founders talking, and it, it's a trend, and you can see a pattern where uh, that uh, uh, catalyst or or that inflection point is never from the founders, but it's an outside uh, influence. So I, I think us as founders are better when we go outside and talk to people from different countries, different culture and, di and different experiences. Yeah, definitely. And you were able to leverage on all of those relationships and expand your brand beyond Puerto Rico, which is really, yeah. really good. I, I, yeah, I always say that better than an MBA title is all the connections and, and all the knowledge I got from living abroad and, and having that experience. <laughs> Is it actually, is it common for people from Puerto Rico to study in Argentina? Because I always, no, I know a lot of Puerto Ricans it, go to the U.S. or to Spain. Yeah. Some some go to Spain, but is that it's common? Not, no, it's not common at all. Mm. And, the, mm. and the story is funny. I wanted to go to Spain, but mm. when, we do, when we did the math, euros were expensive. So we went to pesos. <laughs> gotcha. And I guess that was an interesting experience being in in Argentina and I needed one because that that was the foundation for for your company that's where the it was born right the idea yeah. was born uh it, it was born in Puerto Rico but it was born thanks to experiences I I had in Argentina my brother right. had in Boston right definitely definitely so your company serves the Latin American diaspora in the U.S. that number yeah. is in my head 60 million people yes wow <laughs> yeah and it, it's, it's important, especially in this Trump era, mm. that uh, you see a lot of uh, Hispanics in the U.S. or Latinx, however you, you want to name it, right. uh, that maybe they're second or third generation and they're full American. But now everyone is a little bit curious of that authentic culture. So instead yes. of go, going and buying Goya or La Costeña, that is uh, almost uh, like a brand that is uh, on every aisle in the U.S. Yeah, they want they want that authentic stuff. So they want that adobo that a little grandma makes on on the mountains in Puerto Rico. They want that mm -hmm. coffee from mm -hmm. the mountains of the, of the Dominican Republic. So it, it's it's an it's an inflection point where the the U.S. Hispanic community is looking inwards towards where they came from or where their parents or grandparents came from. So it's an interesting time that was pushed with all this uh, separation in the U.S. and due to Trump. Yeah, yeah. That number 60 million, however, does that, because I know this is, this is, you know, I don't, as you know, I don't live in the U.S. I live in China. Yeah. I'm so far removed from like political correctness and labels, right? But I know that when you say Latin America in the U.S., are they, are you referring to those from Central South America? Does that also include Hispanics or, and other Spanish speaking people? Like how, who is defined in that 60 million? Like who does that include? Yeah. Uh, the US census uh, defines everyone that comes from Mexico all down to, to Patagonia, to Chile, Argentina. So 
so and the Caribbean also. So mm -hmm. it doesn't include the Hispanics from Spain, but it mm -hmm. is uh, from Latin America. Okay, interesting. Very interesting. All right, you know something that I was thinking of when most people hear, you know, because technically your company is, is serving the diaspora, right? Technically, yeah. you can say okay. So I think for most people, including myself, when we hear diaspora, I think send home, not the other way around. You understand what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because a yeah. lot of uh, of our countries, uh, even like the the term remesas, that is mm -hmm. when people go to the states, they work and they send money back. A lot of the economies in Latin America are built upon that. And absolutely, and I, I heard like countries that had 10% of their GDP comes from remesas. Uh, yes, which remittances. Is, mm, yeah. Yeah. It's important to, to understand that uh, that that fabric that unites them. Now, what we want to push, and we've been pushing for a while, is send money, but there's other ways of, of giving back to your home countries and your communities. You can buy from a local and small entrepreneur that will make their company grow and they can provide more jobs. And and maybe if, if that trend continues, we can have a really impact, uh, a real impact on the economies of the communities we serve because uh, we're seeing people that they don't even have product in the supermarket in Puerto Rico, but they're exporting uh, to the US thanks to our platforms. So a lot of people are, are understanding that opportunity and, and they're putting their efforts into, into that cross-border e-com. E yeah, and, and what you said is so important. And I, that's why I, I, I was stalking you for so long <laughs> because I love what you're doing. You know, you are putting a spin on this. You know, you're saying what you're doing actually is you're sending, you're doing it the other way. You're going from home to the diaspora. So you're yes. shifting this. It's like the trend is going in the opposite direction. And I think there's something to be said about that. You know, this shift, there's some economic advantage. There's some power in that because it's going the other way around. And like you said, people are supporting not just the remittances, but entrepreneurs. You're really empowering entrepreneurs at home. And that's so important. Yes. I really love that. And I think for me, because even with Rare Birds, with this platform, I'm, I've am i been obsessed with the diaspora from an investment perspective, how the diaspora can invest in, um, I've been, in, yeah, in startups I've, at home, but you're doing it by saying buy from them. And I think that's so much yeah. more powerful, you know, than just but sending I, money. Yeah, but I've been I've been researching on this and Israel is, is like the best case study where, yeah. where you have a, a lot of, uh, of of the Jewish community investing uh, not only with remittances, but investing in the companies. And you have exactly. that, that like social contract that if I leave the country and I'm in a better position, I have to give back. So yeah. in Latin America, we need to, to push ourselves to, to, to that social contract with our diasporas because every country uh, in Latin America due to war or just economic crisis, we have large diasporas. So I, th I think it's time for, for the nonprofit, the private sector and government to sit down and start strategizing how we can collaborate and, and we can have a, a better quality of life integrating that diaspora. Yeah, yeah. And is, I am glad you mentioned Israel because they are they're well known for being able to harness the diaspora to invest um, back home. 
very, yes. very, they've been really, really good at that. Really good at that. So what is your business model specifically around generating income? Can you share with us how, yeah, how yeah. do you make money? <laughs> yeah, it's been, it's, it's interesting because it, it's, it's not that we started with the revenue streams we have now, but it, we've been growing and we've been seeing opportunities of fulfilling needs from our customers. Not, not only then customers, but those merchants in our platform. Mm -hmm. So we have the transactional fee, like every other e-com. Uh, we have also uh, the advertising revenue, like uh, when you sell on Amazon, you have to pay Amazon to, to be able to, to augment your reach of the products and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, we, we also are working with brands that already have product in the US uh, with uh, business intelligence. Since mm. we've been gathering the data, so I can tell a, a local cookie brand in Puerto Rico, uh, instead of going to Orlando, where most of the people are going and the market is really saturated, check mm. out how, how our customers in, in Texas are buying. Mm. Look at this area codes, you have opportunity here. So, so we're helping these brands understand the power of data because most of them just uh, send some like uh, uh, achievement to, to a distributor in the States that doesn't know the culture or anything. And, right. and, and you don't get a lot of information and that value chain. So we're helping them there. And also we have a, a fulfillment center here in Puerto Rico uh, where we help not only the brands that work with us, but other e-com in Puerto Rico and Dominican Republic ship uh, their products to the States. So we have that logistic business. So we have four different revenue streams that uh, basically it's like a value flow because you put the products in our, in our platform, we advertise it. So it sells more, you wanna know more information from the people who are buying you and we can help you with big shipments also. So we created this ecosystem to help uh, local companies, not, not only with e-com. Right, now the fulfillment uh, solutions that you offer, it's 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 all it's so this is like an all-in-one e-commerce platform, right? So it's like full-on in terms of everything that you offer. Like, is it integration, packing, shipping, all of that stuff? Yeah, we we do the complete. Uh, well, except of the last mile that we have partnered with FedEx and UPS. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, we do from uh, we get we research and we are actively looking for products and brands in all our markets. We get those brands, uh, we all do all the content because you have to understand that even though we work, 10% of our brands are, are big brands that they sell in the supermarket, but 90% is that long tail where mm. you have a, a small farmer that maybe have 10 acres, but he makes the best coffee in Guatemala. So mm. we, get, we get that and, and, and it's good because people come because they see the brands that they used to see when they were kids on the TV and the supermarket, but they discover all these new great uh, small entrepreneurs. Yeah, absolutely. And was that something that you started with initially or did you no. see that as an opportunity <laughs> after, after a while or so, the, the, the fulfillment? The, uh, yeah, the, the fulfillment part of it, especially it happened because uh, 
a lot of people that are in the states or Puerto Rico or follow the the, the tech industry, mm. uh, you may you may remember that in 2017 Amazon was putting uh, uh, states and cities and towns in the U.S. to compete each other for where they're going to put their their next lo logistics center. Okay. So Puerto Rico was uh, on that push or on that beat, but Hurricane Maria hit and it mm. destroyed the entire island and our infrastructure. So basically it was impossible for Amazon to even consider Puerto Rico. So we had uh, working with the local government and the local government agency that pushes economic development and exports. Uh, and they were doing like uh, throughout the whole island, some, uh, some talks about uh, e-commerce and we were talking about our experiences. And we suddenly start thinking that we're going around the island, we know how many people are opening their Shopify stores, how many people are working on or interested in income. So this is something that in five years is going to hit a critical mass and people don't have the infrastructure to chip. Either you sell it to FBA, to the States, or mm -hmm. if you're a, a small company or you have products that don't have such a long shelf life, well, FBA is, is out of the scope. So basically we call up the government and we said, we want to do this, uh, forget Amazon. We're going to build this fulfillment center. And a year later we did it. <laughs> Fantastic. You know, you said something just now that the majority of the brands you work with, I think you, you said 90%, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, are the small, small brands. Are yeah. small brands. So how do they remain competitive? Because yeah, they're so small. You know? Yeah, and it's interesting, especially because our first strategy was to only go to small brands uh, and we didn't want the big brands. Right. But the, 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 the logic there was uh, we we're going to pursue uh, cons conscious consumers that want to support these niche right. brands or these independent brands. But people were asking us for the big brands and they mm. wanted that. Uh, mm. So after two years, we pivoted and we started knocking on the door of the big manufacturers here in Puerto Rico. And that really helped with, with traffic, with customer acquisition. And even though the small brands will never compete in price, mm. what, what we've been seeing is that uh, they can compete on, on story. And, okay. and for us, what we do, we are storytellers. I don't sell products that I make. I sell the products of the brands of, of our markets. So, right. so we, we, we have to be really good on telling the story because maybe you see a, an ad with a logo of a brand that, that you don't know. But if, you, if I tell you the story that it's, this is a generational company of coffee growers in Dominican Republic, and then you fell in love. And people will, will maybe spend $10, $15 on that coffee, but they will also buy the $3 coffee that, that they came into the platform. Uh, yeah. to buy because they recognize. So I think more than competing, you will always have those customers that, that they have the average card of $20 and they will go for the cheapest products. But we don't push cheap products. We, right. we push ideas, concepts, and brands. And, and, and it's a good balance. Right. And I mean, the consumer is coming to you specifically because they want that product that they used to get when they were back home or that their mother yeah. used to make for them. So that, that's your niche and that's why they're coming. It's not necessarily to get something cheap. Yeah, and, and, yeah. They, and they, they also come and 
we we learned that this year, this past year, with uh, I don't know if you saw that Good De Goya CEO went on supporting Trump and everything like that. Oh, and, really? And that, no. Yeah. Oh dear. Yeah. Oh dear. And, and that oh. had a huge reactions <laughs> on on the Puerto Rican uh, community in the states. I can and suddenly, yeah, like uh, Lin Manuel's father, that Lin Manuel, I think, is the second most famous Puerto Rican after Ricky Martin or Bad yeah, Bunny. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, and Jennifer uh, Lopez is quite popular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and he shared the company and he said, like, don't buy from Goya, buy from Brands of Puerto Rico. And that's what wow. Yeah, and suddenly exploded. Uh, that day was crazy. But that what we learned there is that people are are in this in this era people are, are looking for brands that take the stand of the people that support them so mm. so more than than just i want to i want to buy the things from back home i want to buy the brands that support me and then that resonate with me while i'm mm. here outside of my country fighting uh, racism or fighting uh, cultural barriers so it's important Absolutely. to, to be that tool also of, of reaffirming not only where I've come from, but what I what I believe in. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Now you mentioned government. Is do you get a lot of support from the local government in Puerto Rico or in or in any of the other countries where you're operating in DR or or Guatemala? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I uh, I know the the cool thing to say is no that the government doesn't help, <laughs> but but I think in, in Puerto Rico you need especially. It you need yeah, it yeah. Mm. no no I, and i think i think is is for us it's been really good the, the the storytelling part of it and not only the the brand side but the story that uh this is uh, this growing millennial push company is helping local farmers and, right. and small entrepreneurs to to grow the the, the economies it's, it's impossible or, or it's not good PR for our government to not help a company yeah, like exactly. ours. Yeah. yeah. So so yeah, we uh, we collaborate a lot with the governments, whatever we work with. Yeah, I think it's important. I that's why I said I believe you need it because it's it's good for them and it's good for you. You know, like you're doing so much to help local entrepreneurs. I think it would be in the government's interest to to support you in in any way that they can. Because it makes everybody look good, and it's yeah. good for the country. It's good. It's good for the brand of the country. Good for brand Puerto Rico, right? Yeah. Yeah. So where will? So are you brands of Puerto Rico, or are you brands of? Did you change the, your name? Yeah. The the holding company is mm -hmm. brands of, and then mm -hmm. you. Uh, we have a. If you want to talk the corporate structure, we have a Delaware company. Uh, right. That is a brands of, and then we have. Uh, Sociedad Anonimas, that is like an LLC, but uh, the Mexican version, the Guatemalan version, Dominican version, and then we have an LLC here in Puerto Rico. So uh, every company, every market has a, an independent identity, corporate identity, but everything is owned by a by a holding company that is brands off. And how big is is the are the employees? How many employees? How big is the team? We have right uh, yeah, we have twenty one. Okay. Okay, okay, okay. Is that considered lean for an e-commerce company? Uh, it also has to be because we just, on uh, December, we, we close a, a round, a $2 million round. I'll be, I'll be being aggressively, thank you, aggressively hiring uh, right. 
the C, a lot of C level, a lot of managers. So, so we, we have maybe doubled our size in the last six months, especially mm. also before that due to COVID. COVID was a, a, a blessing in disguise for the entire e-commerce industry. Mm. But uh, we, the, the growth was exponential last year. So we are riding that, that wave. And also we, with the new resources, we're building a stronger team that will help us achieve what we want to achieve. Very good. Well done. So where will Branzo be, say, in the next five, 10 years? I think, uh, I think we're going to continue uh, strengthening our, our markets right now, because if you take into consideration, Mexican population takes almost 50% of that 60 million. Uh, then you have 6 million that are Puerto Ricans, Dominicans, you have 2 millions. And we want to continue grow on Central America. Uh, mm. Right now we're in Guatemala, but there's also Honduras, El Salvador, and they have big populations that are growing now in the States. But I think that we, we have to continue to push not only CPGs and, and products, but culture. Why? Because uh, if we continue, the, if we go down the path of, of just CPGs and just working well, there's always going to be a, a Amazon, a Walmart.com, eBay, Etsy, and all these companies. But yeah. if, we, if we put culture in the mix where, where there's content, where there's a, a, when you open that box, something cultural, we're going to have that, that blue ocean in front yeah. of us. Because, uh, for example, I'm, I'm talking, uh, we are really focused on customer service. So mm. instead, of going down the path of just putting a lot of robots or forums like all the e-commerce uh, do, we, mm. we, we have a dedicated team that you always will talk to a human being. And, and we found out that in the Latino culture, that is really important. Latinos, right. that mm. experience of talking to someone and, and they tell us, oh, I've been 14 years living in New York. I miss the, the sound of the cookies. I miss the beach. And, mm. and and that connection for us and that cultural, emotional fulfillment that we give to our customers is the path to go. So, so for us, continue to, to, to grow our customers base and make them feel like home. And, and I think that and logistic wise, uh, we're looking this year to, to open a warehouse in the States. Uh, we wanna push that same day delivery to, to our clients because uh, there's things like, for example, the Blue Apron model where people mm. buy, buy a box and instead of, uh, of uh, a normal food, imagine buying a box and, and you can cook arroz, habichuelas and, mm. and that dinner that your mom used to do back home. So I think we, we, we have to be fa faster in delivering our products, mm. but also uh, continue that path of, of building a cultural uh, marketplace, not only a product marketplace. Excellent. Well, I know you're going to do it and I look forward to seeing where you are and what conversations you're going to be having in the next 10 years. Yeah. And I, I definitely think it's going to be about culture. Once it's diaspora, it's definitely words yeah. like culture and home and nostalgia and a sense of belonging are always going to be a part of the story and the bigger conversation. So yeah. to conclude, my final question for you, at the end of each uh, podcast, 
I always ask my my guests or a new family member, your latest addition to the family, what yeah. lessons <laughs> what lessons would you like to share with us from your entrepreneurial journey thus far? Bearing in mind that all of us, all of our, our listeners are in the early stages of their businesses. Okay. Great question. Thank you. So I'm, I'm going to give uh, one advice. Okay. But it's intrinsical tied to the, to the geographic or the culture of Latin America. Okay. So uh, Latin, in Latin America, uh, how, how the startup or tech industry Uh, growth uh, well you have a lot of startups capital is really tight and, and capital is always dominated by family offices mm -hmm. uh, we don't have that big culture of, of uh, independent funds or venture capital maybe okay. in places like Mexico Argentina but not in Puerto Rico Dominican Republic or other places okay. so I, I think that's something that really worked for us was to go and try to find capital outside of Puerto Rico. And okay. then came back with that like badge that someone in the States invested in us. So it was easy to get capital in, in, in Puerto Rico uh, after that. But, but it's important to, to understand the need of capital. Why? Because a, a, lot, of, a lot of entrepreneurs, uh, they cut their wings on, the, on their concepts or ideas because they refuse to access the market. But mm. Latin America needs companies like Rappi, like Mercado Libre, uh, hopefully brands. Uh, of, uh, so we, we need companies that, that have a bigger vision and a, and, and a bigger TAM or market cap. So I think it's important to understand and accept and, and be comfortable with, with accessing capital. And the other, I think it's for everyone. It doesn't matter if you're in China, in San Croix, Puerto Rico, or, mm. or, or in Japan, or in the yeah. States, patience. Mm. Uh, mm. I think, I think our, our entire world is, is fixed on the idea of speed. And I do believe in speed, and, and that's the, one of the best qualities of a startups. But as a founder, you, you have to have a lot of patience, and, and, and that's the way to, to survive, because I learned, uh, I learned a, a lesson that startups fail because their founders give up. So, mm. so for us, if I look in hindsight, a lot of times it will make sense to give up. But we had that patience and that discipline and, and that resulted on, on the success that, that we had so far. So, so I think uh, that, that first is especially for Latinos founders Uh, for emerging market founders, I think, because I, I believe that, that that same sense of family offices or accessing capital. It's everywhere, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's everywhere. And, mm. and the other one is patience. We have to be patient. It's a marathon, right? Not a sprint. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. You were excellent. Thank, Thank you so you. much. Great folks. And until next time, bye for now. We've arrived at the end. Again, I hope you enjoyed listening in. If so, welcome to the tribe of rare ones. I'm really pleased that you're a part of the family. If you'd like to hear, read, or watch more great content, visit the website at www.rarebirdshq.com. Additionally, 
don't forget to subscribe to the weekly news to ensure that you don't miss out on what's new. Until next week, bye for now.